Discipleship is a common word used among Christians today, but it's often used without clarity. With many differing definitions, how can we be sure we're getting it right? And why must the church be committed to helping Christians or discipling Christians to live every day in light of the final day? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt, delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon, David Platt looks to God's Word in order to explain what biblical discipleship is and how it's vital for the church today. Here's David with the third sermon in this series titled, 12 Traits of a Biblical Church Discipleship. From Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me actually to the first part of the Bible in the Old Testament, fifth, fifth book, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you who are gathering with us in Loudoun, Prince William, Montgomery County, Wharf, different microsites. It's Good to be together across Washington, around God's Word. I, I praise God for His grace in our gatherings last week. Uh, I, I wish you all could have seen uh, the front of this room and in other campuses just filled at the end of each gathering with people confessing Jesus as Lord and receiving His salvation. I wish you could hear all the stories I've heard from People of all ages, all backgrounds, some never having been to church before, others having been in church all their lives, last week confessing Jesus as Lord. And I want you to know, so Lord willing, we'll have a similar time of response three weeks from now on Easter Sunday. And I, I just want to invite every one of you to be praying right now about who you can invite to be here with you on that day. Like, think about, even picture names, faces right now, people in your sphere of influence who don't know Jesus truly. And I just want to challenge you to pray for them every day, like between now and Easter, and invite them to come with you to church. I want to challenge every follower of Christ in this room and other campuses I want to challenge you not to come alone on Easter. Like, don't come as a Christian alone on Easter. Bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus with you and pray that God would open their hearts to his love. You might say, well, I have family plans on Easter. And this one, I want to remind you, there are much more important things on Easter than your family plans. Like, I'm talking about eternity and one of the most open opportunities for people to go to church and hear the gospel. So there's nothing more important you can do on that day than invite somebody with you. Or if you invite family who don't know Jesus. I was talking with one person uh, in the church. So this person has 48 grandkids and she has invited all of them to be here on Easter. So here, here at this campus, they'll have this section right here. So you can bring one other person. I mean, so, so somewhere between one and 48, that's my encouragement. Like, so anyway, that, that's coming up a few weeks from now. Let's be praying with anticipation for that. So today, 
I want us to pick up where we left off last week. So we're in this series on 12 traits of a biblical church, looking at how God defines church in his word. We've now looked at two traits, uh, biblical preaching and teaching and biblical evangelism. So the church is first and foremost a community formed by God's word. And at the center of this word is the gospel. So anybody who is a part of the church is a part of the church because they've heard and believed the gospel, the good news of God's love in Jesus. So that's where the church in a sense starts, but it's definitely not where it stops. So I'm concerned that for many people, even many professing Christians, these first two traits is where we stop. We say, okay, I've trusted in Jesus to save me from my sin. Like now I know I'm going to heaven. So I can just kind of coast things out here on earth until I get there. Which is, as we've discussed, why there's a whole host of people, even in the church, who profess faith in Christ, but their lives look just like the rest of the world. Because they've missed the whole point. So let, let me illustrate. I, I've shared before with you some of my family's story, how my wife, Heather, and I desired for years to have children, and God wasn't answering in the way we desired. For about five years, we struggled through infertility until God led us down a path of adoption. We started exploring options here and around the world, and through a series of circumstances we never could have planned, we started the process of adopting a child from Kazakhstan. So we filled out all sorts of forms, went through various interviews, did background checks with every federal agency in the United States, it felt like. We underwent a home study, and finally, after many long months, I will never forget where I was sitting when I opened up my email, and for the first time, I saw a picture of a 10-month-old boy who had been matched for us. I want to show you a picture of him on the screen. There he is. I'll never forget the first time I saw that face. And uh, within a couple of weeks, Heather and I were on a plane to Kazakhstan where we would spend the next month visiting him in an orphanage, what they called Baby House in Kazakhstan. We would go an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon. I could tell you all kinds of stories from those days. Uh, but I want to show you just a quick video that I think sums it up. So it starts with Heather talking about the first day we met him. This is the second day uh, we spent with him. It'll, it'll just give you a little glimpse into what these days were like. Watch, watch this with me. Two in the baby house the first day we saw Caleb was for about 60 seconds and um, it was very quick, kind of tearful, but um, we're excited. We get to play with them for an hour. So this is our first time to really interact with baby Caleb. Heather and I were laughing as we watched that video this week. Like we, were, we were living in Alabama at the time, and we were just laughing. My wife had some deep south drawl in that video <laughs> that we hadn't noticed until we moved up here. Uh, so uh, anyway, after, after a month of visiting Caleb in that baby house, so it was 11 years ago this last Wednesday that we went before a Kazakh judge, and this 
precious little boy became our son. And that day we went to the baby house one last time and we wrapped him in a snowsuit that I think we've got up here. There he is. And he officially became part of our family. Now, here, here's the deal. We then flew back to the United States. Let me tell you what we didn't do. We didn't take Caleb, put him on the street and say, all right, buddy, welcome to your new home. Figure this thing out on your own from here and walk away. As if that was the end of the story. Like, no. Sure, in one sense, it was the end of one story, but in a much greater sense, it was the beginning of a, a whole new story, like a whole new life and family and future. And this is the picture I want you to get. When it, when it comes to someone coming to Jesus, whether that was you last week, maybe, whenever that happened in your life, there was a story that led to that point. And if we're not careful, we can say, okay, that's, that's it, end of story. And the church can even practically say, praise God, you came to Jesus, you're going to heaven, and then leave you to figure this thing out on your own from there. How often does this happen? We count, even celebrate the number of people who trust in Christ, and then we move on, which is exactly what we cannot do as a church. Church Jesus never called us to count decisions. He called us to make disciples. And the tragedy is, when people profess faith in Christ, but then they, they don't have help to grow in Christ, and many end up falling away totally, like a baby left on the street. They, they don't survive. Or others survive, but basically stay babies, professing Christians who made a decision at some point in your life, however many years ago, but you've never really grown to flourish in your faith. Some of you might even look back to a previous time in your life and you think, I had a faith and a zeal then that I've totally lost now. Like you've gone backwards. And this is not God's design for any one of us. Picture it. God is our father. He has adopted us into his family, not to flounder, but to flourish, to experience the joy of being his child. J.I. Packer, an excellent book called Knowing God. I would highly recommend it. One of the top five uh, outside of the Bible for me, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. In it, he says, he asked the question, what is a Christian? What's a Christian? And here's the answer he gave. The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Oh, that's, that's what I long for every one of you to experience. I long for every person in this church to experience the joy of knowing and walking with and worshiping God as Father, you as His child, growing as God, God has created you to grow as His child and the church. So follow this. The church is the family God has designed to help you experience this. So that's why third trait of a biblical church is biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship. Now, as soon as I say that word discipleship, if you've not been around the church, you probably don't know what that word means. And if you have been around the church, you also probably don't know what that word means. Now, you might think you know, 
You might think, yeah, yeah, discipleship. That's the program I attend. Like, like community group or small group. Like that's discipleship. And as long as I'm in a group like that, then I'm experiencing discipleship. Others say, no, 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 no. Discipleship is individual. It's not a class. Discipleship is what happens when somebody invests their life in your life. Like one-on-one. They take a certain amount of time every week to talk and study the Bible and pray with you. That's discipleship. You'll hear people say, yeah, this particular person discipled me. They start talking about how that person spent time with them in their life, which causes others to say, wait a minute. Like, I've never had anybody do that with me. So I'll hear Christians say, I've just never been discipled. Meaning they haven't had a one-on-one relationship like that with an older or more mature Christian. Or some would say a one-on-two or one-on-three relationship like that. Then others say, no, 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 like, I don't need any of that. I just need to go to church. Like, it's that simple. I don't even have to go to the same church every week. Just be in a church somewhere, the majority of Sundays, like, that's sufficient to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So you hear the back and forth. No, you need to be in a community group, small group. No, you need to be in an individual relationship. No, you just need to sit in the service on Sundays. And in the middle of it all, in the middle of all we have to say about discipleship, I wonder, what does God say? Like, what does our Father in heaven say about how to flourish on earth? That's a question worth answering. Remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about how God's created us to grow as disciples of Jesus, not to stay stagnant, not to stay babies in our faith, but to grow and flourish. And we talked about how different people are at different stages in relationship to Jesus. You might remember this. We put it up on the screen. I'll bring it back. We talked about how some people in this room and other campuses right now are exploring what it means to follow Jesus. So people who haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. And then we talked about how people come to the point where they believe in Jesus, which is what many people did last week. What I invite people to do this week, even though we're not talking specifically about evangelism, we're always talking about the gospel, the good news that God loves us so much he has sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for all of our sin against God, that anyone within the sound of my voice today, right now, you can be forgiven of all your sin reconciled to relationship with God through faith in Jesus, trusting in, believing in Jesus as the one who saves you from your sin and the one who reigns as Lord over your life. I invite people today to believe in Jesus. Non-Christian friends, family members, guests who are with us, like we invite you to believe in Jesus today. And then when you believe in Jesus, so here's the picture, when you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God, with God as your father, and you begin growing in your relationship with him, flourishing in your relationship with him. And if you remember, things don't stop there, because it's not just about our growth in Jesus, it's about bringing others to Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't say, go therefore and grow as a disciple, he said, go therefore and make disciples, which leads to the fourth word we put on the screen a few weeks ago, multiplying as we bring others to Jesus. So this is a picture of what God has designed for every single one of us. Or better yet, we put some images on the screen that we sometimes see in Scripture. We talked about the soil, in a sense, of exploring Jesus and how seeds are put in that soil. Then it it begins to grow into a plant. New life begins through believing in Jesus. And that then grows to strength in Christ, this picture of growth stability, security, strength in Christ, which eventually multiplies to bring new life. So the question is, how does that happen? 
Like, how do you become like that strong tree and forest? How does your faith become like that? Because that, that's what I pray for every single person in this church, like every single one of you. I want to help you become that in Christ. To, to put the words back on the screen, from exploring to believing to growing to multiplying these pictures. Like, I, I want to help you progress along this spectrum to flourish in your faith. So that leads to the question, then how? How does that happen? And I don't think the answer is merely just get in a small group or get in a community group or find a disciple or a discipler, whatever that means, or, or just be in a church service. So today, I want to give you a sentence that I believe summarizes what God's word says about how to flourish in your faith, about discipleship. And this sentence doesn't just come out of thin air. It's grounded, I hope, in God's word, which is where we want to ground everything we say and do. So I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And there's so many places in the Bible we could go to talk about discipleship because in a sense, like, the whole Bible is about helping us grow and flourish in our relationship with God. But this passage is particularly foundational. It's one of the most famous passages in all the Bible from the most, most quoted book in all the Bible, Deuteronomy. And in this passage, God lays the foundation for what it means to be his people, which has huge implications then for what it means to be a church. So let me set the stage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them to a place called Mount Sinai, to this mountain, where he revealed himself to them, gave them his law, and basically uh, it, was, it was a, a covenant ceremony, like a marriage uh, wedding kind of picture, entering into a relationship. And he said, here's my word, here's my law that will lead you to life with me as you go into the land that I'm promising to take you to. Now, the problem was, right after that, God's people turned from his word, and they didn't get to go into that land. An entire generation died in the wilderness. And then God gathered the next generation together, and he said, all right, here's my law, my word again. That's what Deuteronomy means. It means second law. So there's really not anything new here that we haven't already seen in, in the book of Exodus, but it's a recounting of it. So this is on the edge of the land with a new generation. God is saying, here's my word that will lead you to life in this land that I am taking you into. So listen, with that background, listen to this language, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey." Here's the most famous part, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> ah, 
Sorry, there's just no way to cover that with this microphone right here. It's just like, all right, that was my lung, so let me get back here. Uh, <laughs> all right, just going to try to pretend like I was feeling great today, but that just kind of gave it away. All right, so uh, back to the text. Uh, so uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. So this passage, I think in so many ways, just summarizes how God is designed for you and me for us to flourish in faith. Like, what follower of Christ in this room does not want to flourish in faith? You want to be like that, that tree planted by streams of water with fruit just bearing. So how do you get there? Well, here's, here's the sentence that I think summarizes how we flourish, how we grow as disciples of Jesus in our relationship with God. So you might write it down. Here it is. How, how do you get there? Learn and obey the Bible personally and in small and large group community. That's it. Learn and obey the Bible personally and in small and large group community. So that sentence summarizes the essence of what I believe God's saying here in Deuteronomy 6 and all over the Bible about how to flourish in him. And as such, so that sentence, learn and obey the Bible personally in a small, large group community, it, it summarizes what I want to help every single person in this church experience. So if you were thinking what we, what we had on the screen earlier, exploring, believing, growing, multiplying, going from soil to plant to tree to forest here, like this is how to get there. Learn and obey the Bible personally and in small and large group community. Now, let's let this sink in. Let's unpack this sentence phrase by phrase. So we'll start in the beginning. Learn and obey the Bible. So some of you may know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, is known as the Shema in Old Testament Judaism. And it's known as the Shema because that's the Hebrew word at the beginning of verse 4. It's translated here in this English translation, but this word in the Hebrew is so great. So it's used over 1,100 times in the Old Testament, and there's really, the problem is there's not a perfect English word that compares to it. Because it's not just, it doesn't just mean to hear something like audibly, to listen to something. Now, oftentimes it's translated as hear, but other times the same exact word in the Hebrew is translated in English as learn. Because the meaning of the word really focuses on not just hearing, but understanding what has been heard. Like listening to something with intelligence. So it's not just in one ear and out the other. Like sometimes I tell my kids to do something and it's in one ear and out the other. When they're not doing what I've asked them to do, it's not that they have a physical hearing problem. They have an intellectual hearing problem. They're not paying attention to what I'm saying. Or they're paying attention to it and ignoring it. And that's also not Shema. So, which is interesting because there are other times when this same Hebrew word is translated in the Bible and it's translated obey. Same word. It's translated obey. Because this word carries with it a connotation that when someone hears what is said, not only understand it, but they do it. So again, go back to my kids. So every once in a while, it doesn't happen all that often, but they disobey what I have said. And I'll say, you, you didn't listen to what I said, did you? When the reality is they could look back and say, yes, I listened to everything you said. I just didn't do it. Which, that would get them in more trouble, so they don't say that. 
But the problem is not they physically didn't hear or understand. The problem is they chose to do the exact opposite. So all this to say, this is a beautiful Hebrew word that carries all of these connotations, which is why I use in this sentence describing discipleship, learn and obey. So the sentence could say, Shema, the Bible, but most of us don't speak Hebrew. So I don't think that would clarify anything for you about discipleship. And here, just hearing, doesn't seem to capture the essence of really what all the text is saying. So we'll go with learn and obey the Bible, God's word. And this is what God is saying over and over and over again, all throughout the Bible, right here in Deuteronomy. Turn back a couple chapters, just to Deuteronomy chapter four. Let me give you just a a quick glimpse of this. I just want you to hear the word of God and how it emphasizes through all kinds of different words in the English language, learning and obeying. So look at, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. So this is God speaking through Moses. Listen to what he says, and I'll try to emphasize it. But just kind of make notes, maybe even underline. Every, every time you see or make a circle in your Bible, every time you see something that sounds akin to learning or obeying, okay? I'll try to emphasize it. So look at verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen. So there it is, like hearing. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. So there's teaching your learning. And do them, like obey them. Do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land of the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take away from it that you may keep, keep the commandments. There it is, obey. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Skip down to verse five. See, I have taught you statutes and rules so you can learn them, right? Taught as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them, do them. Obey them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them. There it is again. Obey them. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Like they've learned. Go down to verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Like, learn, help your kids learn them. How on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people together to me, that I may let them hear my words. There it is again, hear, so they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. They may teach their children so. Get down to verse 14. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them, obey them in the land that you're going over to possess. You see it over and over and over again. Learn, obey in different ways. Get to chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Same thing. Moses summoned all Israel, said to them, Hear, there it is again, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. There it is. Learn and obey. Then we get this recounting of the Ten Commandments in this chapter. Then you skip down to verse, 40, thir- verse 32. Listen to what it says. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God commanded you. Obey. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you. You see how this is emphasized over and over again. And then now think about what we just read in chapter 6. When you get to chapter 6, What we just read. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you so you can learn them, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. You may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, by doing them. Then you jump down past what we read. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 in chapter 6. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. 
and his testimonies and statutes, which he commanded you. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Obey them to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. Do you hear this over and over and over again? God's making it very clear. Like this is the path to life in relationship with God, to flourishing in faith. You learn, you hear, understand, teach, be taught, and you obey, you do. You keep these commandments. You walk in these ways. So, is it any surprise then when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he gives the disciples the Great Commission, he sends them out on mission, not just them, but by implication, all of us as disciples, what we say at the end of our worship gatherings, what, what are the words? I'll put them up here on the screen. If you don't know them yet, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching them to obey. Learn and obey. Like there it is. That's the essence of discipleship. It's the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, a classic text on discipleship. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard, learn from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusted faithful men who will be able to teach others also so they can learn and do them. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. This is the essence of discipleship. And it has been since the beginning of God's people. So how do you grow in God? How do you flourish in faith? It couldn't be any more clear. Learn and obey the Bible. The Word of God. Learn and obey. But both. Not just one or the other. Which is why we don't define discipleship merely as a small group or a community group or anything along those lines. That's not to say that a small group isn't important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But there are all kinds of things that can pass for small groups or community groups in churches today that are, well, first of all, some of them are Bible-less. They're not focused on learning the Bible. They're focused on listening to the new pop psychology from the latest book in the Christian bookstore. Or maybe they're opening up the Bible. They're not actually studying it. They're just reading a passage and saying, all right, what does this mean to you? And they start to twist the Bible to say all kinds of things it doesn't mean. Or even in groups that are studying the Bible accurately, it's oftentimes disconnected from obedience. We come to a Bible study every week where we increase in Bible knowledge, but we're tempted not to put it into practice in our lives. We can actually become experts on Galatians in our minds without ever sharing the gospel. That misses the whole point, which is why so many Christians never make it to that multiplying picture in our lives, well, we'll spend years, decades in in-depth Bible studies and not be leading people to Jesus. And this is the whole point. Now, let me be clear. This is not to say that Bible studies or small groups or community groups are bad. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it is to say that they're only good in so much as they help us to learn and obey the Bible. So again, we'll come back to those in a minute. But for now, just hear this. This book is the key to growing and flourishing in faith. Every one of us, if we want to experience life to the full, we need to learn and obey the Bible. We need to learn and obey the Bible personally. So now keep going in the sentence. So we have the Shema, hear, O Israel, learn and obey from the one true God. And then verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Oh, 
this is where I want you to see. Just think about this. See that the God of the universe has created you right where you're sitting right now for a relationship with him marked by love. Huh. If, if that doesn't knock you out of your seat, like you, you didn't hear me, right? This, this, and this, this is, the Bible saying this is where life is found. Life is found in loving God. More than you love your wife or husband. More than you love your kids. More than you love your comforts. More than you love your home or your job or your possessions or your achievements or your reputation or your safety or your security. More than you love your own life. Jesus says the exact same thing in the New Testament. He quotes from this passage in Deuteronomy. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I ask you, do you love God? I mean, really love God. Not do you love his gifts? Because God has given us many, many good gifts, many good things in each of our lives. But if we're not careful, we can all fall into the temptation of loving those gifts more than we love the one who gives them. God knew this would be a temptation for these early Israelites. He's promising them land and descendants all these blessings, and he knew they'd be tempted to get focused on those things in such a way that they would forget him, which is why he says what he says right after what we read. Listen to this. This is so important. Look in verse 10 in Deuteronomy 6. Follow along. When the Lord your God brings you in the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill in cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, listen to verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do you see this tendency in your own life? I see it in mine. Like this tendency in all of us to enjoy the gifts and forget the giver. We need to constantly remember that the greatest gift, the greatest gift God gives us is not our spouse. It's not our kids. It's, it's not our friends or our family. It's not health or wealth. No, the greatest gift God gives us is himself. And a relationship with God revolves around Knowing and experiencing that, like in supreme love and affection for him. And whenever we give that affection or attention to someone or something else that God alone deserves, you know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. Focus on the gift, missing the giver. 
That's exactly what God warns about here in Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Now we've talked about that before. And jealous is not a picture we usually associate with God. For that matter, jealousy is not an attribute we think about positively at all. And there's good reason for that. Jealousy in our lives is most often wrong. It's often driven by pride or covetousness or some kind of insecurity in us. But there is a good sort of jealousy that is driven by love, which is exactly what we see in God. God is not insecure. He knows he is infinitely good. And he loves his people so much that he wants, to experience, wants them to experience, wants us to experience our greatest good. And he knows that when we focus on gifts and wander after other gods, it will not be good for us. And he wants to keep us from that. Remember, God's covenant with his people is like a marriage relationship. I think about my marriage. I love my wife. I want her good. And she and I both know God has designed our marriage for both of our good, which means I am jealous for her affections. Even the thought of her giving her affections to another man is not good. That's why anyone or anything that threatens to steal her affections from me as her husband will be met with the strongest of opposition. Is that clear? And, and, and this, sorry, just got a little pumped up there, but this is, this is good. This is the way marriage is supposed to be. And this is the way our relationship with God is supposed to be. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely loving. And he's calling us to experience that love and relationship with him because it's in that that we will experience our greatest good. God has created us for a wholehearted love relationship with him. Now, the reason I emphasize that here under personally is because we want to grow personally in our love for God. And we do that by growing in our understanding of his love for us. This is, right, let me put John 15 here on the screen. We don't have time to turn to it, but listen to verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, this is another great text on discipleship, John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's a great picture. As the Father loves the Son, so he loves us. That's, that's a lot of love. So he says, abide in my love. He wants us to experience his love. This is so good. So how do we do that? Listen to the next verse. If you keep my commandments, learn and obey, right? Keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How do you, how do you experience love in a relationship with God? By learning and obeying his word. Jesus goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is not God. Jesus saying, learn and obey my word because you have to. I just do it. This is God. Jesus saying, learn and obey my word because this is so good for you. This is so good for your life. I believe this. We, we've talked about this over and over and over again. We, how we know that people who spend at least four days a week in God's word, learning and obeying the Bible, have radically different lives. Like you, you can see the effects so please, like, download that Beyond Sundays app. Have some kind of regular exposure to God's Word where you're hearing it, learning it, obeying it on a daily basis. Like, personally, nobody falls in love with somebody else by proxy or grows to love somebody else by proxy. Like, this week, I will go on a date with my wife, and I will not be asking a surrogate to go in my place to talk to her for me, tell her how much I love her, don't forget that. Like, no. I'm going to do that myself. 
It's what a relationship's all about. So then, why would anybody be content just to come to a worship service or a Bible study, hear somebody else talk about God's Word, and you're not experiencing it yourself? Now, we're going to talk in just a minute about the value of this and small, but there's nothing like being alone with God, hearing His Word. Like, I just, I think about this morning. Like I, just, I woke up and went into a room alone and let me tell you what I got to do this morning. I was talking with the God of the universe. I, he was listening to me. Huh. I was talking to him. He was listening to me. Sure, he was upholding Mars at the same time, but he was also listening to me. <laughs> he was listening. And not just was he listening to me, he was speaking to me. Like, I'm sharing them with things that are, with him, things that are heavy on my heart. Just crying out for help in this way, that way. And he was listening. <laughs> That's awesome. And we have that privilege all the time. Which is why, so if all you do is come to a service once a week, or, or even the majority of Sundays, even a small group of Bible study, and you're not spending the time, time alone with God and His Word, you will miss out on discipleship. So learn and obey the Bible personally. Let me just urge you, urge you, make whatever changes need to be made in your schedule this week just to have the majority of your days at some point in the Bible. Just, just some point. Just for a few minutes, just start there. Learn and obey the Bible personally. Let His Word be on your heart. And then, then in small and large group communities. So the last part of the sentence. So what's interesting here in Deuteronomy 6 is right after God's, uh, God talks about his word being on our hearts, then he talks about infusing our relationships. Like first at home, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Then he expands it to everyday life. When you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That pretty much covers it. Like rise, walk, lie down. All the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, like when, when you not have your hand with you. All, all the time. Uh, this should be as frontless between your eyes when you don't have your eyes with you. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, like everywhere. Some of the language is obviously figurative here, but the point is clear. Let God's word just saturate your life and your relationships, meaning discipleship. So growing in love for God, learning and obeying his word doesn't just happen in those moments when we're alone. Yes, it happens in community. And I put small and large group community here because, well, think about the context here. So this is Moses in Deuteronomy 6 speaking the word of God in a large assembly of God's people. You look back at chapter 5, verse 1, you see that Moses summoned all Israel and said these words to them. So this is like one, we're, we're coming in on like a giant worship gathering where God's people are assembled together in a large group hearing his word and worshiping him. And we can turn to all kinds of places in the Old Testament where we see that happening. Then we can turn over to the New Testament. We can see disciples gathering together in churches. That's actually what the Greek word for church means, ecclesia. It's an assembly or a gathering of disciples of Jesus. Which means, so follow this, what we're doing right now. In this room and in other campuses together, like we are, are worshiping and praying and giving offerings and learning the word. It's being taught. We're hearing it hopefully with a view toward obedience. We're doing that right now in this assembly of people all across Washington. And as long as his word is at the center of what we're doing, this is discipleship. 
So Christian, don't say I've never been disciple. Like, hopefully, like this is disciples. That's what's happening right now. God himself has designed gatherings like this for us to grow in Christ, which is why we need this. Like we need this. There's so many temptations, challenges in this world. Like God has set it up for his people to gather together once a week and do this. We'll talk about that more on a, on a, when we look at biblical worship in the church. But this is why we don't just read the Bible on our own, live the Christian life as a lone ranger. It's not possible. God has designed us to gather together with the church. A few weeks from now, we'll see how God has designed us to gather primarily with one church. But suffice to say at this point, so discipleship's happening in the larger gathering. And then, so obviously, what God's saying here in Deuteronomy 6 is that when you scatter from this large assembly, you need to be in smaller community where you're learning and obeying the Bible together, starting in your homes and then extending to everyday life. God's saying, you need this kind of smaller community around my word. This is so key. That, yes, okay, this, this large group time like this is so helpful, but it by itself is not sufficient. And this is one of my greatest concerns when it comes to a church the size of ours. Because it's possible for people to come, sit down in a service like this here at other campuses, then get up and walk away and remain pretty anonymous and be detached from relationships marked by the kind of one another's we see in Scripture. And we'll talk about this in another week too, but loving and caring and serving and encouraging and supporting and praying for and bearing with one another. We need relationships where those one another's are happening in our lives other followers of Christ who are encouraging us with the word and we're encouraging them with the word, doing Deuteronomy 6 here. And that can happen, absolutely, in a small group. That can happen in a community group. That can happen in any number of avenues that could be formal, that could be more informal. Part, part of what campus pastors are going to do next week is help us think practically about how we can experience this level of community. The point is now, I just want to encourage every person in this church to have an outlet for all three of these. So follow this. One, so learning and obeying the Bible personally. And two, learning and obeying the Bible in large group community, like coming to this gathering of the church, like this discipleship. And then three, learning and obeying the Bible in some form of small group community, formal, informal, Small group, community group, informal relationships, whatever. The point is having real relationships with other Christians who are learning and obeying the Bible alongside you. And if you need help in finding those relationships, relationships, we want to help you because I guarantee, now this is a bold statement, but I make it with confidence in what we're reading here in Deuteronomy 6. I guarantee you that if you are learning and obeying the Bible personally, and in small and large group community, you will grow to experience the life God has intended you to live. This will be a reality for you. Be like a tree, strong, flourishing, multiplying. Now, let, me, let me show you this. this is, we'll, we'll close here. Turn, turn over to Deuteronomy 30. You've got to see the very end of this book. This is, this is so good. You've got to see this. So this is the last time God speaks through Moses in this book. And I, I want you to hear what God says because it is a fitting conclusion to 
what we're talking about here. And it, and it summarizes what's at stake, like why this matters. And Lon's words, so what? Like what, what is this biblical stuff? So what? Here's what. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Listen to this. This commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us? We may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. I would just say, ah, I mean, what we've talked about today, it's not like way out there. Like who could do that? Like learn and obey the Bible. Personally, in small and large group community, like every one of us can do this. Now listen to these words in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But... If your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Oh, please hear this. Like this, what we just read is so different than every other message you will hear in the world this week. Like you will hear, uh, get money, and that's life. I get position, that's life. Get achievement, that's life. Like get, get to this position in life, get, fix these circumstances, get this worked out, like that'll be life. Don't buy it. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. I am holding before you based on what God's word is saying. So not just I, like, as if I have any authority. This is God saying, you got two choices. Every single person here in this room and other campuses, you got two choices. You have life, life and death. You have life and death. If you ignore this word, if you do not listen to it and obey it, then you will choose death. Now, you will not experience life as God has designed you to, to experience it. But he's saying, here's my word. You hear it, you obey it, you learn it, like it will be life for you. And I just want to urge you, amidst all the other messages in this world that are lies, to hear the truth, this is life. 
This is where life is found. And I want to encourage you to experience it. Oh, I want to exhort you to experience it. Like, embrace that. Like, every day embrace that. If you, if you have never trusted in the Word of God, His promise to save all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, I invite you, choose life today. Choose life today. And then once you've trusted in Christ, huh, don't just, like a baby out on the streets trying to make it like you won't make it. He's given you his word. He's created you for love relationship with him. So I exhort you to choose life. Learn and obey God's word personally and in small and in large group community. Like know this. We as McLean Bible Church, we together are going to work hard at biblical discipleship. Why? Because we're a family. We have God as our father and we don't want anyone to flounder in faith. I don't want any person in this church to be floundering in faith. Not, faith is not easy in this world. And I don't want anybody floundering. We want to help each other flourish in faith because ultimately we want to help each other find life in loving God with all our heart and soul and strength. That's where life is found and that's where we want to go. So uh, let's, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. God, this is what we want. We want to choose life. We want to choose life. God, help us, help us. We are so prone to turn away from your word. We're so prone to forget you. We're so prone to to enjoy your gifts and ignore you as the giver. We're so prone to love other things more than you. God, help us to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And help us as a church to, to encourage one another toward that end. Help us to be the family you've designed for us to be so that we are people flourishing, growing, and multiplying in faith. Oh, God, may it be so. Help us, help us, help us to learn and obey your word in our lives and in community together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or view hundreds of other sermons, articles, and podcasts, that's all available free to you at Radical.net. And if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and would like to hear David in person, please make plans to visit McLean Bible Church, where David serves as teaching pastor. You can learn more about McLean and find a campus near you by visiting mcleanbible.org. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us over at Radical.net.